stores, malls, even sitting at home watching television when the commercials come on, they've always got some kind of Christmas tune in the background. So we're going to do a little something different just as a kind of an audience participation part of the, the sermon. I want you to take like 10 or 15 seconds and turn to somebody beside you or in front of you, behind you, just say, ask, ask them, what's your favorite Christmas song? <clears throat> right now, go ahead. What's your favorite Christmas song? Yeah, that's mine too. And the answer is, well, we're going to take a break right now from our, uh, our Unstoppable Power series that we've gone through, been going through for the last several months. And we're going to have a little short series that are focusing on songs of Christmas, songs uh, inspired by the birth of Jesus Christ. And as, uh, as Adam said earlier, <clears throat> the very first song that was, that was inspired, that, was, that grew out of a realization of the birth of Jesus was the one that Mary sang. Uh, it, it's called the, the Magnificat, okay? Uh, it's, it's called the Magnificat in, in Latin because that's the word in the Latin language that it, it began with. In our, in our English translations, it says, my soul magnifies the Lord. But, but it, was, it was Mary's song. Now, you, you stop and think about Christmas songs, and, and some of the greatest, most brilliant composers in the history of mankind have written Christmas songs. Bach, Beethoven, Handel, Tchaikovsky, uh, or, or more recently, people like Irving Berlin, you know. But maybe the most profound Christmas song ever created it wasn't by the, one of the brilliant composers the world has known, but was rather by a probably a little 15, 16-year-old Jewish peasant girl named Mary. And for Mary, I think the reason this was so significant, so profound is these weren't just words. She was living this out. She was going to have to live this out. We don't, we don't sometimes stop, you know, when we see the Christmas pageants and the Christmas story and all of the sweet and sentimental things and all that's wonderful. But sometimes we don't stop and, and really get what was going on here. You see, when the angel Gabriel appears to Mary and he gives her this, this news bulletin, this is not exactly welcome news to Mary. I mean, she's this teenage Jewish peasant girl who isn't even married, and she is told she's going to have a baby. That's not, that's not a good thing for anyone most of the time, but in that society, it, it really wasn't embraced very well. I mean, there were some, some really unfortunate things that could, could happen as a result of that. I mean, the, the Torah, the Jewish law said if, if someone in that condition was found, they were to be stoned. It didn't really happen all that much, but it could. And, and she wasn't, wasn't married, but she was engaged to Joseph, and who knows what he was going to do when he finds out. I mean, he, he may just be history. She didn't know if those would happen or not, but one thing she did know, when people realized what was going on, and they would, you can't hide that very long. There was going to be a lot of really 
bad rumors, really ugly talk about her. Because you see, Nazareth was a small town, and, and just like small towns today, they were the same back then. That was going to go on. And, but it wasn't just what was going to happen to her when she heard this news. What about the kid? I mean, if this really was to be the Messiah, the deliverer of Israel, well, you know, kind of like today, I mean, if you look over in Egypt or you look over in Syria right now, and the people in power where there's a threat to their power, they don't respond very well. It wasn't any different back then. In fact, it was probably worse. And they already had a guy on the throne in Jerusalem, a guy named Herod, who didn't take this news real well. In fact, he decided he would have a permanent solution to this threat to his power. And a lot of babies were killed. Mary and Joseph, who didn't abandon her, they had to, to flee as fugitives into a foreign country. They had to leave their family. They had to leave their friends. They had to leave their home. They had to leave the, the culture, the language, everything that they knew to protect this child. In a very real way, Mary suffered for the Messiah before he ever suffered for her. But she magnified God. She knew God was so powerful, so mighty, bigger than any problem, and her faith in him was so strong that when Gabriel came and said, you're going to have this child, she said, behold the Lord's servant. Let it be according to your word. And then, and then she went on to, to, to sort of compose this this first Christmas song, if you will, the Magnificat. My soul magnifies, my soul exalts the Lord. You know, everyone, everyone magnifies something. To, to magnify something just means it has this extraordinarily large place in your life. It's what your mind kind of goes to when you're, uh, when, when you're not occupied. It's, it's, it's what you think about. It, it, it's what your, your hopes are around. It's, it's what your identity is shaped by. And, and if you get more of it or less of it, that really impacts whether you're doing okay or not. We, we all magnify something. It's just part of being human. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes we, we magnify some pretty weird things. When, when I was an air traffic controller, we, we, we worked on teams. We had these crews that, that had different schedules, and, and uh, we were always paired up with somebody. We had a guy on our crew, and we went by the initials BZ. And BZ was a complete fanatic about the Texas Rangers. Bad news about Michael Young, huh? Complete fanatic about the Texas Rangers. And, and, and during baseball season, if you were scheduled to be paired with BZ, you had to stop and think about how the Rangers did the night before because if they lost, woo, it was not going to be fun working with BZ. He was going to be a bad mood, and he didn't mind spreading it around. He magnified. Maybe you know people that they, they just really magnify the importance of their favorite sports team all out of proportion. We all magnify something. Alcoholic magnifies beer, booze. Uh, a workaholic magnifies work and, and achievement. 
hypochondriac magnifies his illnesses. And I don't know what you call them, but the guys, the people that worry all the time, they, they magnify their problems or, or just problems that might happen. Some people magnify money. Some people magnify success. Some people magnify sex. Some people magnify approval. But we all magnify something. Every one of us has that thing that, that we really, really build up. Well, Mary here, she magnifies the Lord. Look, look again. Let's, let's read it one more time. Luke 1, verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He's regarded the low hand, low estate of his handmaid. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm And he scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He's put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of low degree. He's filled the hungry with with good things and the rich he sent away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercies. He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his posterity forever. That is just so rich, so powerful. I mean, she starts... With, with an unmistakable reference to one of the Psalms. Psalm 35, verse 9 says, And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. Mary obviously was familiar with that passage. She says, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And in fact, in these few verses, there are multiple connections to Old Testament passages, to, to the scriptures as she knew them, the Word of God. We don't often think a lot about this, but Mary was a, a teenage girl. And, and they, didn't have, they didn't have Bibles like we do. Most of us have several Bibles. They, they didn't have any. I mean, they, 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 there was no printing to be done. They were hand-inscribed on scrolls. And maybe, maybe their synagogue had one, but Mary wasn't even allowed to go to synagogue school because she was a girl. And yet, and yet there, is a, there are scholars that say she probably had committed the entire book of Psalms to memory because she, she really was in, invested in God and, and in what he was doing. Later on, as Jesus is born and the, and the shepherds come to see him in chapter 2, we read, when they, when they had seen him, chapter 2, verse 17, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. You see, there's two, two categories of people here. There's, on the one hand, there's all the people that were amazed And on the other hand, all by herself is Mary, who who responded differently. She she treasured up all these things and and pondered them in her heart. I've read that for years, and to tell you the truth, I don't think I ever got it. When I read that, I, I thought of this kind of this warm, sentimental, sweet moment, you know, of a mother wistfully contemplating, you know, that, that lovely time 
about her, her firstborn and anticipation, you know, curled up in a fuzzy robe with some chamomile tea and a little soft music and a fire in the fireplace, you know, one of those kind of Kodak moments. That's not what this is talking about. This is, this is very significant language that use, Luke uses to describe what's going on. Because this is the kind of language that was used to describe what a prophet would do when he was discerning the word of God, the will of God, the message that God in his purpose and in his plan was giving him to share with the people, with God's people. This is, this is an incredibly significant, spiritually meaningful thing with a lot of depth. Now, you would think that somebody, in addition to Mary, would have gotten this. I mean, there's Joseph. The Bible says he was a righteous man. There's the Magi. They were wise. They were educated men. There was Herod. He was was a, a ruler, a royal person with the entire court at his disposal. There was Zechariah, who was a priest, a very religious man. But for some reason, the only one that seemed to really get it, really understand what was going on here was this little 15, maybe 16-year-old Jewish girl who was going to have a baby. What do we ponder? What do we treasure in our hearts? What, what are our minds focus? What story are we telling? What song are we singing? The Magnificat is way more than some sweet, innocent little Christmas song. It's more than just some harmless words. It's a powerfully relevant statement in in the world today. I mean, mean, think about it. This, This little Jewish peasant girl, the ruler over her was Herod the Great. The way he got great was on the backs of poor peasant families like hers, attacking them. Augustus Caesar was the ruler of everything at that time. And the reason he was Augustus, the, the supreme one, is because he was forcing people like Mary and her family to bow to his will and the power of Rome. Now, the people didn't like that. There was constant little rebellions, little, little circumstances where people would rise up in defiance of this. And that's what was going on here. That's the kind of language Mary uses. Look at verse 51. Talking about God, she says, He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. You, you know, rulers don't like hearing stuff like that. Or verse 53, He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Rich people, powerful people, they really don't care to hear that kind of talk. E. Stanley Jones said, the Magnificat is the most revolutionary document in the world. 
You want to hear something really amazing? Back in the 1980s down in Guatemala, they prohibited anyone from reading or reciting the Magnificat, this Mary's song in public. There was some unrest going on, a lot of political upheaval. And an entire government banned anybody from reading or reciting this in public because they deemed it too politically subversive. 2,000 years later, this song, this little 15, 16-year-old Jewish peasant girl writes, is banned because it's considered too powerful for people to hear. Didn't take 2,000 years for it to be understood that way. Just about 30 or so years later, Mary's little boy Jesus would grow up and he would rise up in defiance against Herod the Great and against Pontius Pilate and against the Jewish Supreme Court, all of the rulers. He would defy them and he would say, look, I've got a different kingdom it, it's not like any kingdom you've ever known before, but it's greater. It's, it's, it's more significant than any kingdom this world has ever seen. Who do you think was the first person to tell Jesus about God bringing down rulers and raising up his kingdom? Maybe the one who magnified God in the song she sang and the life she lived. What is it we magnify in our lives? It's really amazing how when we magnify God, when we, when we see how, how big God is, how great God is, how powerful God is, how mighty God is, how holy God is, that, that the things that we struggle with so much become smaller. Those problems that seem so big, those things that we worry about so much, the challenges that we encounter, None of them look so big when we magnify God like Mary did. So here's the question for us. What song are you singing today? What do you treasure? What do you ponder? It's interesting how we're shaped by the songs we hear. I wonder how many times Jesus, when he was just a little boy, would have his mom sing this song to him. And he would hear what came out of her heart. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, little, little kids, when they hear something they like, they just want to hear it or see it over and over and over again. You notice that? You watch this particular cartoon 10,000 times. When uh, our oldest granddaughter, Anastasia, was just a little toddler, just learning to talk. She was, she was at, at our house. Her, her mother and dad and her aunt and uncle had gone out to Six Flags one afternoon. And she was at our house taking a nap, and when she woke up, I was to take her out to join them so that they could take her around at Six Flags. And so I, we loaded her up. When she woke up, we loaded her up in her little car seat in the back, and I'm, I'm driving, just the two of us in the car. And, and that's a long way for toddlers to go all by themselves. So somebody else drive, Nobody's talking to them or, or entertaining them. So I, I made up this little song. I, not much. Uh, I borrowed a tune, obviously, and I said, Anastasia, Anastasia, I love you, I love you, I love Anastasia, I love Anastasia, yes, I do, yes, I do. And she 
paused for just a minute after I sang it. And then she said, do it again. Do it again. So I sang it again. Do it again. I sang it again. I must have sung that song 413 times between our house and Six Flags. But at least it occupied her. She wasn't crying. Little kids have these songs that they just love for you to sing to them. And I wonder how many times that little Jesus would come up to his mom and say, Mom, sing me that song. You know, the one about how God is so big. Sing it to me again. Mary would sing it again. She must have sung that to him all the time. Because this wasn't some little ditty like I did. This was was the song that, that sprung out of the deepest part of her heart. This is, this is all about the, 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 the deepest recesses of her soul, what she treasured, what she pondered. And I guess, I guess she sang it to Jesus over and over. Sometimes when you love somebody, you want to sing to them. Especially parents want to sing to their little children. When, uh, when me and my two brothers were growing up, my mom sang us a song. It was, it was our lullaby. It was to the tune of uh, Tura Lua Lua, the old Irish lullaby song. Only she sang different words to it. She would sing, this is mommy's baby. This is mommy's baby boy. We were all boys. This is mommy's baby. How I love him so. And then she would just sing that over again and over again. I didn't know until years later that there was another song that had that tune to it. I'd never heard it. All I heard was what my mom sang to me. Years later, 40, 50 years later, since I'd heard that song, we were gathered at my mom and dad's house one Christmas time. They were in their late 70s, I guess. And we were all having the wonderful time you do with family at Christmas. And my brother and his family, who are all musically gifted, they started singing Christmas carols. They had, they had some they really wanted to sing. And if we knew them, we sang, or else we listened in if we couldn't quite do that. And, and when they'd done that for a while and they got where they were ready to stop, they sang one last song. They sang, This is Mommy's Baby. This is Mommy's Baby Boy. And tears started trickling down my mom's cheeks. By the time they were done, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. You see, the songs that our moms sing to us when we're little, when we're growing up in those formative years, they're powerful in their impact on us. That never goes away. And she sang the song to Jesus. And what's amazing is in so many ways, this is Jesus Jesus, rather, is Mary's song come to life. She must have told him how the angel Gabriel came to her and and told her she was going to have this baby. And her initial reaction was, that's not possible. There's no way that's going to happen. I've never been with a man. And the angel said, oh, nothing is impossible with God. Years later, 
Jesus has grown up and, and he's teaching people. And he tells them, with God, all things are possible. Where do you think he heard that? I think he heard it in Mary's song. Mary sang her song to Jesus and she said, you know, even though everyone in the world looks at me as so insignificant, all generations are going to call me blessed because God has done some great things in me. This poor little peasant girl. Years later, Jesus is, is teaching multitudes of people and, and he, he teaches the most significant, the most profound, the most important, the most, the most discussed and talked about and studied sermon or discourse that has ever been given in the course of human history. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And when he begins that sermon, he looks out at these people out in the countryside and he sees these poor people, the, these peasant people, these insignificant, humble people. And he starts out by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn. Because they're going to be a part of this kingdom that God has sent me to bring I have a book in my study, it's the title is The Upside Down Kingdom. It's about the Sermon on the Mount. And it talks about how when Jesus communicates that, he just turns everything on its head. He turns everything upside down that the world tells us. The last are going to be first. The least are going to be the greatest. Where do you think he heard that? He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He's put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of low degree. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty, Mary sang. Another time he was out in the countryside and, and there was all these people, there were 5,000 people and they were hungry and they didn't have any way to eat and he fed them. Another time there were 4,000 people and they were, they were poor and they didn't have anything and, and he fed them. And I think he probably thought, hey, mom, I'm filling the hungry with good things. You imagine that little boy in her lap and she's singing that song to him. And she, she tells him, the story of when the angel came to her and said, you know, Mary, all, all your plans for your life, your dreams, your hopes, those are going to be gone. It's, it's going to be very different than you thought. But it's going to be, it'll be painful in some ways, but it'll be so joyful, so magnificent. If you're willing to die to those hopes and dreams, and embrace what God has for you. And she thought about it. And she said, let it be to me according to your will. And I wonder when she was, when she had that little boy sitting on her lap and she was telling him that story, she was singing him that song. I wonder if 
he got real quiet when she got to that part. And she said, it's okay, son. It's okay. Your heavenly father has always been faithful to take care of us. So sometimes, if he ever asks you to do a really hard thing, remember what what he asked your mother to do. And remember how she said yes. And then maybe you'll say yes too. And one day God did ask his son to do a really hard thing. One day God asked his son to take on himself the weight of the sins of the entire world. To pay the debt of sin that every one of us owed. And Jesus thought about it. And he said, let it be to me according to your will. Father, not my will, but but yours be done. And I imagine when he did that, he thought, hey, mom, I'm singing our song. Because you see, sometimes if you sing your song to me enough, then I start to sing it too. And it becomes our song. And because Jesus was not just the son of God, he was Mary's son too. Let's pray together. Father, in a 